James Beckett Sports Card Insights, Vintage Dinner Conversation, Budgeting. Thanks, panelists. Outstanding. Brian Flynn, Eddie Healy, Frank Costella, Kevin O'Keefe, and Jim Telford. And thanks, sponsors, Top Spinini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Comsey.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, everybody. Here is the very interesting discussion. Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights. We have our vintage virtual dinner with no food, but excellent conversation. Some people would say, if I go to a dinner and it has great food and terrible conversation, that's okay. And other people <laughs> say, if it's no food and great conversation, that's even better. Kevin O'Keefe? It's great to be here. I'm 58. I've been collecting for 50 years. I teach elementary school. I'm back in the hobby full force with the kids, but I really never took a break. The bottom line today with investment and the amount of money people are pouring into cards, if you want to have a partner that's going to be <laughs> long-term, you have to budget. Whatever your means are, with my personal situation, we were average in terms of the amount that we had with raising a family, two kids. But the reality was, for many years, I didn't spend big bucks on my collection. It would be extra money on the side. You're, you're going to make a choice with uh, my wife about clothes for the kids, expenses around the house, baseball lessons, or picking up this big hobby box. No, <clears throat> I think it's very clear whether you're an old guy collecting vintage or a new guy just getting into this hobby. Unless you're single and money is no object, there's got to be a budget. Thanks, Kevin O'Keefe. Frank Costella. Thank you, Dr. Beckett. I'm 69 years old. I'm a uh, PGA professional by trade. I started collecting at age six. Collected steadily till age 11. Fast forward to 1975 when I graduated from college. I was reading the paper one day and saw an ad for the, the sport hobbyist selling 1975 sets. I took a drive to the store, ended up buying uh, two boxes, two 800 count boxes of 1972 tops. And very nicely, there were stars in there, high numbers, there was everything. So I got back into collecting that way. Uh, continued to collect as I was out of college and going into the working world, but I definitely had a budget because I wasn't making that kind of income, especially when I got married and we had a couple kids. Like Kevin, they became the priority, so I just continued to do everything on a budget until I could afford to maybe upgrade my sets as I was working in the field a little bit longer and got a little bit more income. From there, I started doing some shows and uh, selling on the internet, and that's what I continue to do today. Charlie Brooks is who you got that from. He was an amazing guy. I don't think he was a great businessman, but he was truly a sport hobbyist. So I just think it wasn't generosity because I think he, he just wanted to be pleasing you, giving you that, which was probably a great deal even at the time, but it drew you into the hobby. So when I think back, because I was around in those days too, he was a real ambassador for the hobby. Yeah, he, he, of, I don't know how he came up with all that stuff, but it, he had little shows at his store. I attended some of those. Yeah, just clear everything out and right. put some tables in there and you went ahead and started selling. I think he wasn't much for process. He really just enjoyed life, I think, and enjoyed yeah. the hobby. And that was infectious. Okay. Oh, Frank, by the way, if you need to buy more cards... Why would budget be a concern? You just give another golf lesson, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I do <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Jim Telford, you probably just sell another bottle of wine. What's your secret for budgeting? It's it's funny that you mentioned that because that's actually how I eventually <laughs> took the card collecting experience that I had from the 80s and early 90s. And I was like, okay, and I started collecting wine and that kind of 
led me down the path to become a sommelier and whatnot. Really, it started for me, it was fortuitous. I had a neighbor down the street, a Bob Ackshaw, and he had outgrown baseball cards. He was looking at girls and sports cards at the time. This is in 1974, 75. I was about six. And he bestowed upon me two Roberto Clemente cards in 1971 and 1972 tops. Roberto Clemente, I had no idea who he was at the time. I have no recollection of watching him playing, but my father really did a dissertation and broke it down who he was. And that really got me intrigued about it. Started my hobby journey. The 75 minis were the first cards I clearly remember collecting. My early jobs in the mid to late mid 80s, I worked at a coin shop, a stamp shop that had baseball cards and was using my paper up money to purchase cards there initially. I was purchasing 62, 63, 58, 56 tops. Yogi Berra cards were my first. PC guy that I ended up collecting because I couldn't afford the Clemente cards, basically. But that really led me down the path of appreciating the hobby. Like you mentioned earlier, I discovered wine and started allocating my resources towards investing in wine collections. And that led to what I currently do now with restaurants. But right around the time I was having kids, I got back involved in the hobby pretty much from 99, 2000 was probably the last shows that I was working. Kind of things were declining at that point. And I really wasn't involved for about a decade there, having kids and starting businesses. But as far as budget, I think it's imperative to have that unless you want to get divorced. You need to work with your spouse on that. And just talking about some friends that aren't married, I've heard several dark stories about people that really put themselves financially in a bind and fairly recently in the last few years. So there's definitely a dark side to the hobby. There is an addictive component to card collecting, the FOMO, the fear of missing out, the chase, that adrenaline rush when you're trying to track down a card. But the volatility index, I used to work in foreign currency uh, doing risk management for enterprise businesses that didn't have existing treasury in our house. And so we would hedge, provide hedging strategies. And a lot of these people, they're just out there and they're allocating entirely too much of their income to this, thinking, oh, this is just going to keep going up. And it's definitely something that people need to be cautiously aware of. One thing, drinking wine is expensive. So you're saying collecting wine is not expensive or is that a winning proposition for you? Because if you drink your wine, it becomes a consumable. At least baseball cards are not consumable. Believe it or not, wine is an appreciating asset if you're investing in Burgundian offerings or Bordeaux offerings or even California. But what you're starting to see is don't get high on your own supply. So you got to separate. This is for laying it down and this is for consumption. Just being able to appreciate the hobby with wine is essentially being able to differentiate between the two. The other thing is when I was 10, the oldest kid in the neighborhood had this fabulous collection of older cards and he offered them up to the kid in the neighborhood that did all his chores. I came in second. I got nothing. But somebody else in the neighborhood got all of his uh, early 50s cards. One fair. So did you have to do anything special or were you just in the right place at the right time to get this collection from the older kid? Yeah, again, it was fortuitous in that he just decided he was interested in girls and cards. And I think his mom wanted him to clean out his room. And she was good friends with my mom at the time in the mid 70s. So I benefited from that eradication of his collection. And again, my summer camp was up in the Napa Valley growing up in the 70s and 80s. Back then, I worked as a cellar rat. And that's how I got involved with wine, just by chance. And I eventually worked in hospitality in high school. And so just benefiting from being around it. 
So basically, not only did your mom not throw out your cards, the network of your mom benefited you into a jump starting your collection. Great. Exactly. I'm great. Okay, Eddie Healy, welcome. Give us some of your vintage background and what you feel about budget. Yeah, so I think my journey with vintage kind of started when I was a kid in the 90s with my dad. And he obviously collected as a, as a child. And whenever I would have my cards out, I'd also look at his cards. He had a bunch of 1967 tops, 1969 tops. That just sparked my interest. From that point, just always had an appreciation for historical ballplayers. And that's stayed with me. I would say I probably took a little pause from the collecting, probably. 2014 to this past year, but selling some of my dad's cards after he passed away recently, obviously, re-sparked that interest. I typically just collect Colts, Orioles, Baltimore Bullets, just the way I stay connected uh, to my dad. As far as budgeting, it's obviously very important. I think, what category is this purchase I'm about to make in my budget? Is it, I view it as an investment, or am I having fun and opening something? More my entertainment budget, if I want to buy an older pack of something. Or even if a smaller item, you know, if it's out of a dollar box or something, that's just entertainment. You're buying a 65 Paul Blair or something like that. Just fun. The other thing I think if you're really looking at your collection as maybe not a true investment or maybe you're just looking as a way to transfer value to the next generation, it's not just is it entertainment or investment on your budget. It's also what percent are you allocating of your total funds that you're quote investing. Those are the two big considerations I, I view when making that budget. And it's something I definitely check on a lot now specifically the percentage just to make sure I'm in balance. Okay. That's a very analytical approach. I think that's recommended from a fellow analytical like myself. Brian Flynn, what's your position? Thank you, Dr. Beckett. Good to be with you again when you started in this foray of podcasting and helped me out greatly with a cover story with Sports Collectors Digest. I've I've been doing vintage for part of my collecting life. I'm primarily a set builder, a completist. So I, I enjoy that more than anything and having a list and, and checking it off. But I, I do revert back to my times of working in an LCS in high school and college and always looking at the vintage case. But for some reason, I'd have a little pocket money and, and end up buying a pack of 89 tops or 90 Fleer or something like that and say, you idiot, why did you not go to the vintage case with some amazing pricing? But I still chase primarily 60s and 70s, uh, continue to build sets and in those genres. And just like any part of this, I think a budget is extremely important. Just to echo the other guys, obviously to keep the piece at home, you need to have some self-control there and it really sets limits for you. But at the same time, I, I think your budget it needs to be a little fluid in the sense that sometimes a holy grail or something you're chasing or, or a set you're trying to complete and, and this is your one time to, to get your hands on it, you might have to step out a bit and, and rope it in maybe the next month or the next quarter or or however you're setting that budget. But uh, I, I do also feel it's very important. Spoken as a true collector. Just as a final parting thought, are all of you talking about net budget or gross budget? Because if you're selling cards, then your budget can be the, what you spend in excess of what you bring in. A net budget really allows you to be more aggressive. I'll just jump in quick, Kevin. I, I'm not a seller. I'm just buying. Most of it I'm keeping, and at my age, uh, even in this environment, although it's very tempting, I'm still not selling. In a bull market, I wish I'd never sold. I, I do a lot of selling. I'm in a completely different place in life now than where I was when I was just a collector. Yeah, I probably spend a little bit more money buying, but in turn, anything that I buy, I'm buying to, to resell. Am I working on a budget right now? I tell you no. Generally speaking, I'm a collector. I technically had not sold anything in two decades. 
Primarily, that has a lot to do with, I was scooping up modern junk wax at the time. I was not speculating, but yeah, I was chasing the, oh, the Don Madeline rookies and the 89 Upper Deck King Griffey Juniors. And ultimately, in the end, in the mid to late 90s, I had entirely too much junk wax. I was like, I've wasted entirely too much money. What's happening with modern right now, and I understand the exclusivity with the serial number, the tail ending of my purchasing power was when inserts and parallels were just starting. What's happened recently, especially with the, the, the junk wax, fortunately, I've kept all this stuff, but it was more, who cares what it's worth? I got over that disappointment in the late 90s and early 2000s of the crash, but it was important to me. But I find myself with you know, 30 Ken Griffey Jr. upper deck rookies, which I clearly don't need. So I think I'm going to become a seller now. I just think that somebody else is going to be able to appreciate it more than me. I benefited from being a collector back in the 90s and the late 80s. But truthfully, the stuff I've been hauling around for decades and my wife has been trying to get me to get rid of it. I think when an opportunity presents itself, personally, I like to allocate some funds for a rainy day. It doesn't happen all the time, but I'm a PC collector with Roberto Clemente. When something that I've been coveting for years comes along and oftentimes the sellers don't even realize the scarcity involved, you pounce. Great example, 62 post, uncut sheet. It popped up and I was like, wow, but wait, I already blew my budget for the quarter. So I pull from another quarter and I say, well, you just have less to spend for the next quarter. It's important to put yourself in the best position to enjoy the hobby. Everybody has their own agenda. There's nothing wrong with flipping, especially in this economy. I've owned several restaurants, but a number of them have been closed since mid-March last year. We're here in California and they're very strict with allowing patrons to, to come into your establishment. So I fully respect and appreciate people that are out there hustling and doing the stuff that I was doing in the late 80s and early 90s, grinding. I understand the high, the adrenaline rush, the Vegas, let's gamble, especially without live sports. But yeah, you need to start thinking about, you can't take this stuff with you. And I don't want to put my family in a position where they're like, dad left us all these cards and what are we going to do with it? I'm absolutely considering selling a number of my stuff just because I think other people out there would appreciate it more than me. Thanks, Jim. It's amazing how now in just the last year, anybody that stashed away that junk wax stuff is getting the last laugh. They've had 20 plus years of accumulation in less than 20 months. So yeah, budgeting, probably a good idea. If you are borrowing money, be extra careful. So thanks, panelists. Thanks, uh, listeners.